Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Very special uh, episode today. Uh, remembering my friend, the late, great John Denver. So for those of you who are used to checking into this podcast and hearing me kind of rant and rave about the human condition or lack of it sometimes, this is a whole different deal. It was uh, 25 years ago today that John's plane went down in Monterey Bay and the ripple effect from his death uh, still resounds to this day. More importantly, though, the waves created by his life are even bigger than that, and they continue on and inspire millions of people all over the world. Of course, one of the best-known and best-loved performers in the history of music, John uh, earned international acclaim as a songwriter, performer, actor, environmentalist, and humanitarian. His career spanned four decades, and his music outlasted countless musical trends and garnered numerous awards and honors. His artistic journey began at the age of 12 when his grandmother gave him a guitar. Denver eventually took guitar lessons, joined a boys' choir, which led him at the age of 20 to pursue his dream of a career in music. He experienced his first major break in the music industry when he was chosen from 250 other hopefuls as the lead singer for the popular Chad Mitchell Trio. He would go on to gain fame and recognition worldwide when his song Leaving on a Jet Plane was recorded by Peter, Paul, and Mary, becoming their first and only number one hit. And as the Mitchell Trio disbanded, Denver was climbing the pop charts as a solo act with songs like Take Me Home Country Roads and Rocky Mountain High and Sunshine on My Shoulders and Annie's Song, Back Home Again, Thank God I'm a Country Boy, Calypso, the list goes on and on, solidifying his position as one of the top stars of the 1970s. He remains as one of the best-selling solo artists of all time with over 50 million albums sold worldwide and he was also given the coveted Albert Schweitzer Award, the first non-classical artist to be given such an award. Uh, for his contributions to music and the world. His passion to help create a global community paved the way for ventures into new musical and geographic territories. In 1985, he was invited by the Soviet Union of Composers to perform in the USSR, inspiring the internationally acclaimed song, Let Us Begin. The powerful video for Let Us Begin moved viewers all around the world. His success of that visit led to a concert tour in USSR in 1986, these were the first performances by an American artist since the Cold War began, an unprecedented cultural exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. He returned to the USSR in 1987 to perform a benefit concert for the victims of Chernobyl. He was also the first artist from the West to a multi-city tour of mainland China in 1992. All of that is in John's bio, but there is so much more to the man and his music that you're going to be hearing about in this uh, special. And these are from family and friends and musicians and people who knew him best and people who admired him and, and people who still continue on his work to this day. And just as a side note for me, which I've talked about many times in this show and other shows that I've done, I wouldn't be in the radio career that I have now without him. It was a meeting behind the scenes in the Wang Center in Boston after a concert many, many years ago. And I was kind of trying to find my way in the world. And he stopped me and he put his hand on my shoulder after I'd been talking for a few minutes about what I'd been up to. And he said, John, John, do you know that your voice matters? And at the time, I did not. No one had ever asked me that question. It was a bolt of lightning right when I needed it. And I took it to heart. But more importantly, John put himself into his words, meaning two years later after that conversation, I get a call one day to go speak at the Winstar Choices for the Future Symposium, The Human Family. John called from Aspen. Dr. Mae Jemison, the first female black astronaut in history, canceled, and he called me. And it was time for me to find my voice. And so all of this 
that I've accomplished the last 25 years, the, the books, the TED Talks, thousands of radio shows, radio awards, all of this stuff comes from, do you know your voice matters? There's a line in one of John's songs that says, though the singer is silent, there still is the truth of the songs. Very prophetic thing that he wrote. And all these years later after his death, his legacy is larger than life and continues on as it should. Enjoy. This way to make myself some pictures, see what they might bring. I think I made it perfectly, I wouldn't change a thing. La 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 Welcome to my happiness, you know it makes me smile. It pleases me to have you here for just a little while While we open up the spaces Try to break some chains If the truth is told They will never come again La 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 I could try one million times, never find a better way To tell you that I love you And all the songs I play are to thank you for allowing me Inside this lovely day Welcome to the morning, welcome to my day Yes, I'm the one responsible, I made it just this way To make myself Pictures, see what they might bring. I think I made it perfectly. I wouldn't change a thing. La la la, la 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 la
I could not do this tribute show to John without reaching out to the world. Uh, and that is the world who embraces John Denver and his music to this day, 25 years after his passing. So over the years, as I've gotten more and more a little bit involved in Facebook, I've kept track of various Facebook groups that uh, that are about John's work and music in the world. And one of my favorites is in Dusseldorf, Germany, of all places. And I'm just thrilled to have the admin of that John Denver page, Inga Kaminsky, joining us for this tribute all the way from Dusseldorf. Guten Tag. Guten Tag, and I'm very honored that you choose me to be here. For someone like me who knew him mostly from the work he did at Windstar, and of course his music, uh, I still have a little bit of a hard time kind of wrapping my mind around the fact that the world still loves this guy like he was here just yesterday. Um, yeah, so there, there's, this, I think, a special quality to... Um, First of all, of course, John's music, mm -hmm. but also to him as a person. He had a very, very great charisma around him. How long have you been a fan? When did this start for you? Uh, for me, it started in 1979 when he was in Germany. Mm -hmm. And he was on television, and um, I just saw it because this, it, it was a, a music show that I usually watched. And so he showed up there and uh, he started singing Country Roads. And I said, oh, well, that's quite a nice guy and it's very nice music. <laughs> and so the, the second song he sang was any song. And yeah. uh, after the first two words, I was a fan. So, uh, <laughs> Did you ever have a chance to see him in Germany perform? Uh, yes, several times. Ah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the first time... That very year, he was in Germany in March, and he only they only did three concerts, I think. And uh, he was back in October to do a bigger sh a bigger concert tour, and mm -hmm. this was the first the first time uh, I saw him in concert. And that then I was completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, we we also traveled around. I saw a lot of Europe because uh, of him. <laughs> oh, you so you followed him to other countries and cities. Uh, yeah, and uh, actually. Um, <laughs> You know, about a year after I had discovered John, I started the, the club. He he usually didn't come to Germany. Mm. He just went. He went, went to UK and to the Netherlands, where he had a very big audience. Mm -hmm. So uh, if he didn't come to us, we we came to him. So we traveled around Europe too. Mm. It's it, it was a friends thing. Uh, yeah. Meeting up with friends, having fun together, and so the concerts added a little bit. So it was the icing on the cake. <laughs> what really surprised me was how um, how good he was on stage. Uh. I mean, how good he was live. That I mean, you go to you go to concerts and you you, you know a performer from from a record and you say, well, okay, yeah, live. This is this is just different. But he was just as good, if not better, because okay. he had this he had this great connection to the audience. The music takes us to a certain point, but what do you think John's legacy is when it comes to the work that he did in the world? Winstar to him was very, very precious. And I also think that uh, I, I was on one of the Winstar Symposia. Actually, huh. I was on two, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I remember one Sunday morning when John was opening for the, uh, the, the day, and he was telling about like, what a wonderful day it was in uh, in Colorado. It was a very, very brightly shining sun outside and everything. And um, 
he made a little speech and then he said, I don't know what else I can do for you now at the moment to make your day better. <laughs> and then somebody from the audience shouted, sing. And it was obvious that this was actually not what John wanted to hear. Uh. I think he, he wanted a little bit separated. He yeah. knew that his, 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 uh, his fame was the vehicle of him being able to have Windstar and to promote Windstar. But I think that he did not want the people to come there because it was John mm. Denver's organization, but because he wanted the people to, to like the things, to, to, to be aware that it is, it is important work what Windstar was doing. So uh, he used his, his fame to make people aware of everything else that was dear to him, I think. I think it's paramount. I mean, it's great to listen to the music, and I really enjoy all of it, of course, but I think mm -hmm. he was trying to tell us to do something besides just listen, right? Yeah, he much more than just his music. Yeah. But I still have to ask, Inga, what's your favorite song? Yep. Um, that's one of the toughest questions you can ask me, but um, I think it's The Wings That Fly Us Home. In the circle we call life A wise man seeks an answer Burns his candles through the night Is a jewel just a pebble That found a way to shine Is a hero's blood more righteous than a hobo sip of wine Did I speak to you one morning On some distant world away Did you save me from an arrow Did you lay me in a grave were we brothers on a journey? Did you teach me how to run? Were we broken by the waters? Did I lie you in the sun? I dreamed you were a prophet in a meadow. I dreamed I was a mountain in the wind I dreamed you knelt and touched me with flowers I awoke with this a flower In one, in the brotherhood of creatures, who the Father, who the Son, the vision 
of your goodness will sustain me through the cold. Take my hand now to remember when you find yourself alone. You're never alone, and the spirit fills the darkness of the heavens. It fills the endless yearning of the soul. It lives within a star too far to dream of. It lives within each part and is the whole. It's the fire and the wings that fly us home, fly us home, fly us home. And building out the this uh, tribute to John, because I'm looking at names and, and, and thinking of places and spaces that I've spent time with people who were connected to John as well. When I got to Bill Curtis, I stopped because I had to make sure that we had the opportunity to connect with BK and have him on the show really quickly, though, of course, you know him from all his work on A&E with all the cold case files and American justice investigative reports. And of course, now he is on NPR on Saturday nights to a massive 7 million uh, listenership on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I'm not going to wait, wait anymore. I'm bringing Bill Curtis on to join us. <laughs> good to be here, John. And uh, good to even think of John Denver. So the first time you and I physically met in person was back in 1989. I was part of the advanced media team at that time in Chicago when John was coming to the Chicago Theater to do an event called Higher Ground. And it wasn't a concert. He did a, a couple of songs to kind of underscore the the themes of the evening, which were all environmental and conservation and humanitarian. And sure enough, maybe 10 minutes before the event started, I was walking third, fourth row towards the center, and there you were coming the other direction. We sat next to each other. It was a really interesting evening. And then afterwards, there was a little bit of an afterglow, and we all sat around and talked about these high-minded things. That was one of the things John Denver was really, really good at, was bringing people together to do something of a higher uh, concern in life. And, And I'll never forget that night. I felt the same way. He had one word that stayed with me that he was emphasizing, and that was sustainability. Mm. And he knew most people didn't know really what to think about it, but it was the beginning of everything. What is sustainable? What uh, can you do not to run into a brick wall? We have to find a way to live on the planet today, tomorrow, and the next. Of course, all that he had done with Windstar over the years, I spoke there in 1994, and I remember that in 93, Rollin Smith, who usually was the MC of the event, couldn't make it, so we were able to vote Bill Curtis, and you went out to Aspen. Yes, I sure did, and it turned out to be kind of as mini Woodstock with intelligence. (laughs) With intelligence. (laughs) And uh, a great few days, because here you bring people together that are all thinking the same thing and just ready to soak up. And here's the value of John Denver um, and the entertainers uh, that happened to be into it. They 
grab the attention of someone. We went wanting to hear John sing, expecting a concert. But suddenly we were faced with something that was more interesting, and that was facts. For instance, um, the facts of what we are facing now, uh, lack of water, um, the estimate is that 5 billion people worldwide are not going to have access to water by 2050, and 3.6 billion by 2018. I can draw a direct line from the Windstar efforts, John's music and influence and friendship over the years, and then connecting with you to our Earth Matters series, produced and scripted and voiced and, and aired 300 episodes in syndication for three seasons. And this one especially... Um, speaks to our friend, Mr. Denver. The late singer and environmentalist John Denver wrote, The prophets are laughing. They say we told you so. It's one thing to play guessing games, another to know. A recent study by a sociologist at Michigan State clearly concluded that U.S. residents support government action to curb emissions when it comes to global warming by both Republican and Democrat alike. However, the study also showed that media denial machines an organized movement to undercut the scientific reality of climate change during the past two decades has been highly effective. With the majority of scientists agreeing that humans contribute to global warming, perhaps the last few lines John Denver wrote on the subject are even more profound. For the needs of many are sins of a few, and the day is forthcoming when accounting is due. I'm Bill Curtis, and Earth Matters. Now, John Denver could do a great song in about three minutes. We could do it all in one minute, BK. That's bragging <laughs> well, you, rights. You wrote that, John, and it's uh, beautiful. Last thing uh, before I cut you loose here, and thanks so much for taking time to uh, to put your thoughts forward on all of this stuff with John. And I find it amazing, Bill, that 25 years, 25, quarter of a century after the man passed away, in 1997, that his music has lost none of its luster for people. The messages mm. are just as strong. Right now, as we speak, there are people listening to this show in Aspen, Colorado, to remember him and to sing his songs and to celebrate his life. They've been doing it for 25 years, and I'm amazed by that. Any thoughts on the staying power of, of the music messages that he brought in and how that plays out in people's lives? That's the strength of music. I mean, to me, uh, 25 years is inconceivable because they're just like yesterday. They bring the same emotions back, the same good feelings. And again, the attraction of bringing people together. Guess he'd rather be in Colorado He'd rather spend his time out where the sky looks like a pearl after rain Once again I see him walking Once again I hear him talking To the stars he makes and asking them for bus fare I guess he'd rather be in Colorado He'd rather play his banjo in the morning when the moon is scarce 
dawn, the subway's coming. In the dawn, I hear him humming some old song he wrote of love in Boulder Canyon. I guess he'd rather be in Colorado. Guess he'd rather work out where the only thing you earn is what you spend. In the end, up in his office, in the end, a quiet cough is all he has to show. He lives in New York City. I guess he'd rather be. Every time I hear that song, I think I want to be fishing, trout fishing to be exact, with a fly fishing rod in my hand on the Roaring Fork River just outside of Aspen. But that's a whole nother show. Richie Foray is an American music luminary, to say the least. He is a Colorado Music Hall of Fame and a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, celebrated for pioneering country rock as a founding member of the legendary and quintessential groups Buffalo Springfield, Poco, and the Souther Hillman Foray Band. And he's a Colorado guy. And he joins us for John Denver Remembered. Hey, Richie, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. John, it's my pleasure. Boy, just listening to that song and listening <laughs> to his voice. Oh, my goodness. Because I hear New York. I lived in New York. Fact is, I think we touched bases at one time in New York. And mm. then we both ended up in Colorado, you know. And I know when Nancy and I arrived here, we said we're in for the duration. Not hard to take, is it? No, man, I love it. And you talk about fishing. I just came down from the mountains Come yesterday. Come on. <laughs> You're killing me, man. You're killing me with that. Wow. Listen, you know, you come from this deep, rich country rock background with Buffalo Springfield and, of course, Poco and, and all of that type of stuff. I mean, in some way, shape, or form, that early scene, you guys may not have met together personally, you and John, but you surely must have chewed some of the same dirt along the way. Well, there's no doubt about it. And we, we did we did meet one time, of all places, in Detroit, Michigan. I think it was Cobalt <laughs> Hall, uh, and, and said hello. Um, and then we both auditioned for a, a monkey's takeoff thing of the East Coast. Uh, wait, 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 what? <laughs> 
there was there was an audition for a monkey's take it was it was kind of like the east coast uh, thing of the monkeys and i know john had auditioned for that and i auditioned for it and and uh, I, I don't it never happened but yeah. uh, uh, th- th- those were really two connections that i that i actually had with him on a personal level yeah, yeah. which were just a hello i mean can you imagine if that would have taken off would have ended up on both of your bios changed everything oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh there's a lot of things that could have changed everything yeah. in my bio i'll tell you so when you listen to that coming in you know from a, an artistic and musical standpoint what resonates with you uh hearing that performance of i guess he'd rather be in colorado Oh man, you know, I'm sitting here and I haven't heard the song in a long, long time. And, and I'm telling you, John, I almost got tears in my eyes just listening to it. Because I can think of the days that I lived in New York City mm. and, and it was kind of like, it was okay. But when I look back on that time now from where I am now, there was an emptiness there, man, that, oh boy, I am so glad I arrived in Colorado. I'll tell you that. Wow. <laughs> but you also, and your daughter, part of the Colorado Music Hall of Fame uh, performance in 2011, which was an incredible, incredible tribute to JD to do Wild Montana Skies. How did that happen? Well, uh, I, I, you know, when the, the people that were producing the, the show, obviously, you know, just uh, contacted me knowing that I live here, you know, and then a lot of people do assume, you know, that John and I were, were friends or knew each other and, and just wanted to know if I wanted to be a part of it. Well, whether we knew each other or not, I definitely wanted to be a part of it because I wanted to give an acknowledgement of my uh, just love for, for John's music. And um, it, it was kind of ironic that, um, you know, when, when we looked at all the songs, uh, Wild Montana Skies, I'm singing about uh, inducting John Denver into the Colorado Music Hall of Fame here in Colorado, and it's kind of <laughs> like just just strange stuff, but what a, what a song. I mean, it was, uh, uh, I remember trying to learn the song, and, I, you know, I don't have the quickest memory, but I think there's like six or seven verses to that song, but uh, uh, yeah, Jesse and I had fun doing it, working it up, and it mm-hmm. was just, uh, it was a sweet, it was a sweet opportunity and it came out really good listen i appreciate it again safe travels john thank you so much my pleasure he was born in the bitterroot valley in the early morning rain wild geese over the water heading north and home again bringing a warm wind from the south bringing a hot news from the spring his mother took him to her breast and softly she did sing Oh, Montana, give this child a home Give him a love of a good family and a woman of his own Give him a fire in his heart, give him a light in his eye Give him a wild wind for a brother and the wild Montana sky His mother died that summer and he never learned to cry He never knew his father and he never did ask why And he never knew the answer To make an easy way But he learned to know the wilderness And to be a man that way His mother's brother took him Into his family and his home Gave him a hand he could lean on strength to call his own And he learned to be a farmer And he learned to love the land And he learned to read the seasons And he learned to make the stand this child a home, give him love of a good family and a woman of his own, give him a fire in his heart, give him a light in his eye, give him the wife and 
21st birthday, he set out on his own. He was 30 years and running till he found his way back home. Riding a storm across the mountains with an ache in his heart. Said he came to turn the pages and to make a brand new start. Now he never told a story of the time that he was gone. Some say he was a pastor, some say he was a John. There was something in the city he said he couldn't breathe. There was something in the city that he said he couldn't leave. Oh, Montana, give this child a home. Give him a love of the family and a woman of his own. Give him a fire in his heart. Give him a line in his eye. Give him the wild Some will say he's crazy, some are glad he's gone. Some of us will miss him as we have to carry on. Giving a voice to the forest, giving a voice to the dawn. Giving a voice to the wilderness and the land that he lived on. Oh, Montana, give this child a home. Give him the love of a good family and a woman of his own. Give him a fire in his heart, give him a light. Even the wild and poor brother and the wild Montana sky. Oh, oh Montana, give this child a home. Give him the love of a good family and a woman of his own. Give him a fire in his heart. John called me up one day out of the blue and said, uh, um, you know, would you like to meet me at the, my bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel? I'd like to talk to you about, uh, you know, uh, working on my albums. And I said, okay, great. So I met him there, and, and uh, you know, I, I had never been a big fan of John Denver's songs so much because I, I didn't listen to them. You know, I, I was familiar with all of them, and I was more familiar with John's um how he's accepted worldwide and mm -hmm. did the stuff with Jacques Cousteau and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and so I liked him as a guy. And, and so I went and met with him and, and we spent all day talking about stuff. And then when I left that room, I was one of the biggest John Denver fans, right? You got to remember if you go back to 1984 going into 85, the United States and the Soviet Union, it's not like it is now. It was a different world, right? Right. Completely different. I mean, uh, uh, there was no cultural agreement between the two countries. John wanted to be the first one to go over there and, and sing. Mm -hmm. And so, well, let's have some, we had some meetings with the State Department, and, uh, and uh, he got sponsors in 84, uh, which was to go over there, not public concerts. They were just for Soviet bigwigs. Sure. Um, so there were little concerts for them and their, you know, families and stuff. So there were maybe 300 to 500 people. We did a concert in in Moscow, and then Leningrad, and then Tallinn for these guys, and uh, 
they said, well, gee, there's nothing wrong with it, John Denver concert, and, and some of them even knew the songs and stuff, and, <laughs> and they said, oh, let's, let's do this. Uh, and the more amazing thing is, in, so we went back in 85 to do the first public concerts, and so we did 11, 11 shows in those same three cities, and uh, um, the audiences, even though they couldn't speak English, knew some of the words and no. were singing along. Yeah, just like you're talking. They're clapping yeah. and toe-tapping and singing along to these songs, and it was like, you know, just to grab your heartstrings and, and mm. wouldn't let go. Oshem Priyatna Svistretsitsa Svami. So my name is John Denver, and it is my great pleasure to be a guest of Goss Concert, to do the first concerts by an American artist, the first public concerts by an American artist in the Soviet Union in over six years. So these first songs are the way that I would open concerts in the United States or most of everywhere else around the world where I know that people are really familiar with my music and where I come from. They are an introduction to my life, to the effect of nature on my life and my music, and on my home in the Rocky Mountains. Спасибо. So you speak to me of sadness and the coming of the winter. Fear that is within you now and seems to never end. And the dreams that have escaped you. And I hope that you've forgotten And you tell me that you need me now And you want to be my friend And you wonder where we're going Where's the rhyme? Where's the reason? And it's you cannot accept It is here we must begin To seek the wisdom of the children and the graceful way of flowers in the wind for the children and the flowers are my sisters and my brothers their laughter and their loveliness would clear a cloudy day like the music of the mountains and the colors of the rainbow they're a promise of the future and a blessing for today Though the cities start to crumble and the towers fall around us the sun is slowly fading and it's colder than the sea it is written from the desert to the mountains they shall lead us By the hand and by the heart And they will comfort you and me In their innocence and trusting They will teach us to be free For the children and the flowers Are my sisters and my brothers Their laughter and their loveliness would clear a cloudy day and the song that I am singing is a prayer to non-believers 
Come and stand beside us We can find a better way That clip is an archived gem for me from 2007 when I did the 10th uh, anniversary tribute to John Denver on the Oprah Radio channel. And it's a special piece, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, First and foremost, there are are people who I would have wanted to really have on this 25th anniversary special that sadly are no longer with us. And Roger Nichols is one of those guys. Um, He passed away in 2011. And, you know, he's irreplaceable in the world in the world of recording and engineering and, and things like that just an amazing human being and someone who was with roger in the 2007 broadcast we did at harpo was connie reader his wife and um couldn't do this show without her connie yes you have a very unique position uh and that was kind of off to john's right on stage as working as a backup singer for him as well as all these other adventures you two were on i mean it's just endless this list but listening to that clip of Roger talking about uh, how he met John, kind of fell in love with the guy, his mission, and then all that stuff that was going on with Soviet Union, uh, my first thought was, you know, back then when Roger brought that up, that things were so different in 84, 85, look at the world now. Just today, uh, it's, well, where's the USSR trying to come back, right? Right. And uh, they're talking about nuclear weapons again. It's shocking, and history repeats itself, apparently. It does, it does. But part of my hope is by doing this tribute that people around the world will hear it, and maybe them will be in Russia or, or China, and they will hear this and, and think of the things that John you know, brought to the stage and Roger brought to the table that was taped in USSR uh, is, is I mean, a legendary piece of music. I think it was John in his best voice. He was amazing. I mean, just him and his guitar live. Not many performers can do that, to that exceptional ability. But not only our side, but Russians, people on the other side of the fence. I mean, they, they don't want to fight either. Yeah. I mean, there's just, it's just, why can't we find this bridge? I, uh, I was thinking about Roger talking about the reception that John got. These people barely spoke English, but they all knew his songs. You know what that feels like up there, don't you? Yes, millions. I, you, you didn't have to agree with everything he said or did, but the man was a messenger, and he delivered. People heard him. He lived it. He was a good man. He had a good heart. He put his money where his mouth was for all his causes, all the things he was trying to do. He was not a lightweight in this regard. Hmm. A lot of people sort of dismiss him as a folk singer. Yeah, that's how he started, but he took it to another level as a, as a world citizen. And I don't think he gets enough credit. So, Connie, you mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, we need people to create bridges, basically, like John did. And, and uh, in full disclosure, and I know we didn't set this up ahead of time, but I couldn't get a better segue uh, to bring this up. For a year, from 2020 to 21. 
uh, I hosted a show called The Bridge right here on WCRW, and I had two co-hosts yes. in Beijing, China, rotating. Yes. But in order for that to take place, I needed somebody as my right arm person. And I will never forget being in the parking lot at the deli. And I'm talking to you on the phone, Connie. We're going back and forth about this thing that may be happening. And you said, and I said, boy, it'd be great if I knew somebody who speak Chinese. And you go, oh, Simpsy speaks Mandarin. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's the way it goes. So anyway, that's exactly what happened. And Simpsy Nichols became my producer and my radio right arm. And she joins us as well. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be a part of this and with my mom. Hi, mom. Hi, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that, that clip of John singing in Russia is off this incredible uh, CD that I have here live in the USSR. And I'm, I'm sitting here once again looking from taking a long view on this is without your dad putting, you know, being the guy that he was with all this technical know-how and ability and, and all the pieces he was able to pull together, this doesn't exist. That means if it didn't exist, the people haven't heard it and would not hear it all these years later across the board and on this show. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they're here right now. And it was a collaborative effort. Without John getting on stage and without your dad recording what was on stage, we don't hear any of this stuff. The messages don't get out. And I know that you've spent an inordinate amount of time and an over-the-top uh, effort uh, a real uh, labor of love to do things to ensure your dad's legacy continues on. Yes. Um, yes. She thank you for saying that. Thank yeah. You. you know, my sister Ashley and I, we, you know, we felt a little cheated. We thought our dad died a little young, just like John. I mean, sure. 57 is really young. And, um, you know, when you have people that, that are, are, are using their, humanness for good you you do you get really sad when they leave this planet and you know when my dad left my sister and I really channeled our grief through celebrating his legacy and then you know in that we 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 discovered um videotapes from him going to the USSR with John and them having a good time and we really like I said channeled our grief through celebrating his legacy he had a big life you know the grammys creating yeah. windle this yeah. you know he he had a really big life but he said that trip was the most important thing besides us that he had ever done that feels really i like i get chills talking about it right now because you know my my dad yeah was part of that he was part of capturing that moment um that that people like you said 40 years later can yeah. hear today it makes it so relevant that you're doing this show right now, John. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy In my eyes can make me cry Sunshine on the water Looks so lovely Sunshine almost always makes me 
one of John Denver's most iconic songs, Sunshine on My Shoulders, uh, was actually uh, released as an album track on the 1971 Poems, Prayers, and Promises album, and later as a single in 1973. It then went on to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart on the U.S. uh, side of things in 1974. But that particular version you just heard was from the Wildlife concert that John did in 1995. The YouTube video for that particular song has 14 million views. I think John would get a big kick out of that. And I'm getting a big kick out of talking to my friend Jim Horn, who is a living legend really in the music industry. He was part of the the vaunted wrecking crew. Uh, He's backed up everybody from the Beatles to Garth Brooks. He spent 18 years working with John Denver, and he joins us on the show. Hey, Jim. Hey, how you doing? I appreciate all those nice words you said. Well, that that was one of my favorite songs, and and, uh, I used to play flute on it when the very first time with John. And then I thought, I'm going to surprise him. And uh, one night uh, I started playing the soprano, and he turned and looked at me real fast in between his lyrics and smiled, you know, <laughs> and so I knew everything was okay, you know, yeah, or, either yeah. he'd, or either he'd give me thumbs up, you know. Right, right. And so uh, I, the flute is pretty on that song, but the soprano, uh, it updated it, kind of. There, yes. There was a lot of guys were playing saxes and stuff at that time, and I was too. And the soprano is such a pretty instrument. Uh, mm-hmm. I knew John would like it. When you uh, first when you first met John, Jim, what was that like? Uh, the very first time was the big arena in New York City. You know, the great big one there. Sure. Uh, and and it was uh, using his new band. So our first meeting uh, was in the dressing room. Uh, John uh, sent for me and uh, asked me to come in to talk, and uh, I didn't think of it as, as being uh, under the wire. You know, he, he's going to drill me now. Right. And he, he was just real nice, man. And oh, it's good to have you here, pal. I've always wanted to have a flute and and whatever else uh, you hear on these songs. So I want you to come out tonight, play this first half, and. Uh, just play uh, where you hear you think it should be. Mm. And so his old uh, bass player, uh, uh, Dick Kness, mm-hmm. beautiful man. I, I mm. loved him. He was really a great guy. He played upright bass in his uh, first band. And so he came that night. He was just curious to hear this new band that, it had, that John had put together. So he sat there and watched the first half, and he followed me back to the dressing rooms. He said, Jim, you sound great up there, but man, don't play on every song. Some <laughs> of them, it sounds pretty hokey, and, and everything will go smooth. And then yeah. when you hear something where you know a flute or something else will will be pretty on it, then play. I said, oh, God, thanks, man. I, I needed that, you know. Yeah. And he and I were buddies from then on so went out on the second half and i sat there and didn't play anything in the first song the second one came along there it was so i played some real pretty flute yeah. and john would look over me and the very first time that i ever worked with him he started either 
winking at me or thumbs up. Yeah. And, and I knew, cool, I'm, I'll play this instrument on that song. He likes it. Yeah. And so that's the way we carried on with all of them. But he was a great guy. I miss him, loved him. And uh, Steph and I both miss him as much and because uh, he was really special. Uh, people that you can meet, if they're stars and they're nice, you never forget them. Ron Lemire is the holder of multiple advanced certifications and had worked directly uh, for the last 45 years with some of the most famous and influential thinkers in human performance, healing, and structural health. And he also spent 10 years traveling with John Denver as his personal health and wellness coach, as well as running security for the entire band and the entire entourage, which had to be some really interesting experiences. And Ron Lemire joins me from Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Ron. Hey, John, how are you? Every time I look at your bio and all the things you've accomplished, you know, you've had this incredibly uh, interesting life. A decade of that was spent with JD. While I was in Boulder, I stayed there for about five or six years where I was learning, you know, homeopathy and herbalism and um, all of these different things. And a particular person that I befriended was a guy named Bruce Mace who had back problems and he couldn't really moved too well. So after about two or three treatments, he was back up on his feet and everything was fine. The therapy works quite well. So uh, then he calls me up one day and he says, hey, can you come to Aspen for the weekend? I'd love to you to work on one of my buddies. And I said, sure. 
so I didn't think much of it, you know, who it was. I didn't even ask. I just sort yeah. of, uh, I've never been to Aspen. And uh, a friend of mine has always wanted to take me there. And I said, I think now's a good time to go to Aspen. I called Bruce and I said, well, who's this guy you want me to work on? He says, um, oh, it's John Denver. I said, really? John Denver? <laughs> okay. That's interesting. So I approached Jimmy. I said, you wouldn't happen to have an extra car I could borrow, you know? Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, he says, in the back I got a couple of uh, Coupe de Ville's, 1959. <laughs> and he said, you can choose either. He says, the pink one starts like a charm, but it doesn't have a roof. You know, it's, that broke down. It's a, they're both convertibles, but that one, I have to put a tarp over it. <laughs> and the other one's a white convertible. It's got the roof on it, but it doesn't always start. Your choice. <laughs> so I said, well, I don't want to be late at the, you know, at the meeting, so I'll, I'll take the pink convertible, you know. <laughs> and the next morning, I put my table in the back of the pink convertible, and sure enough, it starts right up, and I'm, it's minus... 25 degrees out so Jeez. i'm heading out through aspen in the daylight and i'm going what a beautiful little town this is i get at the gatehouse and uh, and i'm by that time i can't feel anything my face <laughs> is frozen and i and my hands are like numb uh and the guy at the gate looking at me kind of funny like why would this guy come with a pink convertible with the top down yeah so i he says what are you here for i says well i, I have a meeting with John Denver, I could barely squeak that out. So he calls John, and I could hear him in the back. He says, John, I got a real live one here. <laughs> he says, he's got an appointment with you. And uh, John asked my name, and I said, Ron Lemaire. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, been, come send him right up. So I gave, me, I gave me the directions, and as I was driving into his driveway, there was John with his arms crossed waiting for me, and I parked the vehicle and got out. I mean, I, I looked up at him. He says, he starts walking around the car and inspects it thoroughly and comes back to the driver's seat. And he says, nice wheels, man. <laughs> and in that moment, all my anticipation of meeting a celebrity or any judgment I might have had about the music or anything just disappeared. You know? yeah, and I went yeah. into a zone with the guy. And When you see, I mean, look, 25 years has gone by and part of me, uh, is still a little bit, I can't believe that the music and the presence that John had is still so profound for people. Does that surprise you at all 25 years later? No, I think it'll go on forever. There's a full moon over in the someone else to win in the eyes of all the people the look is much the same for the first is just the last one when you play a deadly game it's about time we realize it we're all in this together it's about time we find out it's all of us or none it's about time we recognize it these changes in the weather it's about time it's 
about changes and it's about time There's a light in the Vatican window for all the world to see And a voice cries in the wilderness Sometimes he speaks for me I suppose I love him most of all when he kneels to kiss the land With his lips upon our mother's breast He makes his strongest stand It's about time we start to see it The earth is our only home It's about time we start to face it We can't make it here on our own It's about time we start to listen To the voices in the wind It's about time It's about changes And it's about time There's a man who is my brother I just don't know his name But I know his home and family Because I know we feel the same And it hurts me when he's hungry And when his children cry I too am a father And that little one is mine It's about time we begin it Renee Armand began her professional career at 17, performing with John Handy's fusion band in San Francisco by the age of 20. She was discovered by Tony Bennett, mentored by Carmen McRae, and on the road with Woody Herman and Harry James as their last band singer. Her gift for live performances have taken her to every major city in the United States, Europe, and Australia, on stages from Chicken Wire Bars in Roswell, New Mexico, to the Sydney Opera House. Spent five years touring with John. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Goodness, I'm very honored to be here. This show, of course, is, is remembering John's 25 years. I can't believe, like everybody else, that it's been a quarter of a century. But I know that he is prominent in your thoughts on an ongoing basis. Yes, and there are there are so many good reasons for that. He was not somebody whose music I had really been exposed to. I lived a completely different life in L.A. and in the music business. I was a, a songwriter for Irving Elmo, and I was an artist on a and Records and was doing kind of the high-end pop stuff. How did he know about you in the beginning? What what was the deal? Okay, well, um, a friend of mine from A&M, Paul Williams, John, I, I guess they were staying at the same hotel, and John told me that he was walking to his room down a corridor and stopped in front of the door because he heard this this record and this woman who was singing on this record coming through the door. So he knocked on the door, and it was Paul's room, and Paul, Punky and I had 
I, I would sing demos for my other writer friends there. And so he was playing something on a record player that I had, that I was singing. And he told John, he gave John my name, and then it took John a year to track me down, apparently. And then he impulsively calls me, or finally calls me, but it was too early in the morning. And I hung up on him, so there. And then he called right back and said, no, 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 really, this is John Denver. And so we met and started singing together and working together. And he became one of the most influential people. It didn't take long because he had this extraordinary, and you've experienced this too, and know so many of us who were lucky enough to be part of his world, professionally or personally or emotionally. He gave us opening doors one after another, and it has continued through my life because I worked with him, because I was given whatever time that consists of still, it has never stopped being a gift. So yes, I loved him. He was, as everyone who began to really know him, um, and then got to continue to be around him while he was alive, he and Annie made a world that has never stopped being important. You spent five years touring the world with John, something you could probably never have managed when they were throwing beer bottles at the chicken wire. <laughs> yeah. No chicken wire at the John Denver concert, I don't think. Yeah. It was very, very different from singing in bars. But then, of course, I was always doing concerts. I had records and albums and things like that. But this was different. We, we, I got to experience the, the high life that John provided for all of us. We had our own plane and we had just glorious venues. Everything from, I don't know, 3,000 seat theaters to 35,000 seat arenas all over the world. And my favorite concert, I have to say, I think, I have two favorite concerts. One was uh, L'Olympia, the ancient renowned theater of Paris. And the other was the, the command performance at the Budokan. Uh, there's a video of that performance, NEC, which um, it was done by film, and they were geniuses at it. And I, this was before videos and iPhones, so there's a record I get to see myself singing with John, and it was so beautifully done. I don't even recognize it, but it's wonderful. Can you talk about the, this vocal thing that he had going on? I, this is a guy from all that I understand, you know, was just born with this gift. He obviously crafted it and honed it over the years. It is rare to have the kind of vocal clarity that he had, and yet that you were able to match his vibrato and yours. Yes, he, also his pitch was pristine. And I'm speaking as a, speaking as a singer, and I did a lot of studio work, so to be able to do that, you've got to be able to sing in tune. You just have to be able to sing. You could, there were no corrections. You just had to do exactly what you had to do. And singing with John was extremely easy to match up 
too. I don't know how to explain it any other way, except he never sang out of tune. And we would do shows that were two and a half hours long. He never stopped singing. He sang straight through pretty much. It was the power of his vocal cords and his ear was impeccable. To me, the underlying theme of this project, this tribute, this remembrance, is, is his presence in the world as a humanitarian. What he did with this enormous platform, traveling the world many times over, all those TV specials, you know, all the millions of albums sold, the concerts. He took all of that and he used it for a much higher calling than a lot of the artists do, you know, across the board. It wasn't just fame and fortune, it was with purpose. Any thoughts on that? Yes, we talked a lot about, especially when we, when we first met in L.A., one of the things that I think drove him internally and then externally was the simple fact that he was the child of a military wife. So they moved pretty constantly. And the idea of home became more... It was larger than, and I'm, you know, and I'm just interpreting, the, the, reinterpreting my memories of some of the conversations and some of the, some of the times we traveled together, the two of us, especially in Australia. That was the first, we used to go off on his motorcycle to different places and, and then he would talk about the dreams that he was, literally, literal dreams that he was having. And, um, he found home in the natural world because he was on the road nine months or more out of the year so it wasn't like he came home every day to the kind of house stuff that we all kind of that regular people do his home was the life of the natural world around him and when he sang boy from the country um all of those words keep going back to the life of this earth. Because he called Because he called the earth his mother They drove him out into the rain Some people even said the boy from the country was insane Because he spoke to fish in a creek He tried to tell us The animals 
angels can speak Who knows Perhaps they do I know they do How do you know they don't Just because they've never spoken to you Boy from the country left his home when he was young. Boy from the country he loves the sun. Yes, he does. He tried to tell us that we should love the land. But we just turned our heads and laughed. You see, we did not understand. Sometimes I think a boy from the country is the only one who sees. Cause a boy from the country doesn't want to see the forest for the trees. Boy from the country left his home he was young boy from the country he loved the sun David Stoddard is a composer, a songwriter, a producer, an educator, a music theory nerd who lives in the great state of Minnesota. He's also a successful songwriter. He's a Kerrville New Folk winner and has taken top rating honors at the Minnesota Folk Festival, the South Florida Folk Festival, the Tucson Folk Festival. He's a folky, and he tours through the U.S. and Canada. To me, David is one of the last great traveling troubadours in the world of music, and he joins us on this special for John Denver. Hey, David. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good, my friend. And in full disclosure, I knew you when your only really instrument of choice was the piano. That is true. You and I have known each other since approximately 1987. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being introduced to you through mutual friends and I'm watching you play the piano and I'm thinking, this guy's kind of like a combo of Randy Newman, Bruce Springsteen, and Woody Guthrie. 
Wow, that is that's no about as that's about yeah. I was gonna say that's about <laughs> as high praise as I could expect to ever hope to imagine living up to. But the, yeah. the intersection of the John Denver thing, I know that your music may not have always trended towards his type of music, but somewhere it kind of intersected. Well, I, I always wanted to be him. <laughs> you know, that was that was that was sort of. I mean, literally. Going back to my my real formative years, early grade school and all that, I was I was the sort of toe headed, round faced kid with glasses, and, mm. and uh, I just I loved his music so much at that time. I really thought I could be him, you know. Mm. And and I started to I, I was I I sent him my grade school pictures. I don't and know stuff. this really. <laughs> you don't know that? No, no. no. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was. <laughs> I was. I was. I, as much as I guess it was as much as an obsession as a, a you know a grade schooler can sure. have, but but uh, yeah, we had all the eight tracks and we had oh, the albums and, and uh, yeah, that's what that's the soundtrack of my of my young life. That and mm. that and the Beatles forty fives, which as you know, John was such a fan and recorded mm-hmm. a lot of Beatles music over the years, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that was it. I really thought I could be him. And I've known was... you for all these years, but I've never heard this before. So <laughs> never this, heard is, before? this is groundbreaking stuff for me. No, I've never. Yeah, heard it that. was it was it was really really important to me. Have, did you ever see him live at all? Yeah, the first concert I ever went to uh, was John Denver, and uh, my mom took me. And uh, we yay, mom! My friend, my, uh, yeah, <laughs> we brought my friend Eric, and the two of the three of us went to see. It was in uh, Brown County Veterans Memorial Arena in Green Bay. And, uh, I can still, you know, I've, I've seen a few concerts over the years, not as many as a lot of people, but I, there are certain moments at concerts that I think everybody can sort of recognize that you can close your eyes and you're still there. There's a, yeah. there's a, a, something that, you know, they talk about building synapses in your brain. Something happened at that moment that is Boom, the synapse was immediately formed and it will be there. I have a few moments from that concert that I can still close my eyes and remember I was a kid, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, first concert I ever saw. All these years later, I mean, John's been gone 25 years. Do you find it at all surprising that people are still drawn to the music that he created over a half century ago? I don't. And, And it's for all of the reasons we've been talking about. It's because there's an element of intimacy and and and. And, and a delivery and a, an attention to the tones that are going to resonate with people that, that the producers absolutely knew about. One of the biggest stars of all time. I think that there was an air of authenticity about him that really made people return to each other. Kind of the thing that always drives me back to his music. It's by far the hardest thing I've ever done to be so in love with you so alone follow me where i go what i do who i know make it part of you to be a part of me follow me up and down all the way and all around Take my hand, say you'll follow me. It's long been on my mind, you know, it's been a long, long time. I've tried to find a way that I could make you understand. 
The way I feel about you Just how much I need you To be there where I can talk to you When there's no one else around Follow me where I go What I do and who I know Make it part of you to be a part of me Follow me up and down All the way and all around Take my hand, say you'll follow me you See, I'd like to share my life with you And show you things I've seen Places that I'm going to And places where I've been to have you there beside me And never be alone And all the time that you're with me We will be at home Follow me where I go What I do and who I know Make it part of you to be a part of Follow me up and down all the way Take my hand and say you'll follow me When I started putting this production together, and it is a production, let me just be really clear about that. There was a lot of moving parts to this thing, meaning, uh, you know, there's, there's getting the guests all lined up, everybody's scheduled, and again, the actual recordings done, and then there's all the production that goes into it afterwards with the editing and things like that. And I didn't want to lose sight of the fact that there are so many people that came into John's life and he came into their lives that really had nothing to do with music. Uh, they weren't fellow musicians, they weren't you know, people that were on stage with him, they weren't managers, they weren't related to him and all the things that go along with that because there was a whole group of people that were uh, connected to John in a lot of different ways, but had, I mean, the music drew them in, of course, that was kind of the hook for all of this, but the work that he did, and that's something that I am so connected to, uh, nearly more than the music, not quite, but nearly more than the music. You know, after I spoke at Winstar in 1994 and even before that, it has become a guidepost for me about what are you going to do with your life while you're here? Do what you can, where you are with you, with what you have. And I came across a guy named Gordon Tucker on Facebook about a year ago. And he popped up because, you know, back in the day, I would put some posts up about John or whatever, and people get on and like that. And this fellow would pop up every now and again and make comment here and there. We finally connected. And I thought, you know, let me reach out to him and see what the deal was. What is it about his connected to John that he can share here? And he joins us from San Francisco. Gordon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Glad to have you. You're a Michigander guy. You went to the University of Michigan. I went to the University of Michigan. I grew up uh, just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I uh, graduated in uh, December of uh, 1976. So that would be in the wheelhouse of John's, really, the swell of his popularity to some degree. Oh, that's correct, yeah. Was that like where you connected on the music in the, in the 70s, like so many other people? Well, the first time I saw John in concert 
I, I, if I recall correctly, was in, uh, I think, 1975. And I think it was at um, Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor, Michigan, when mm-hmm. I was a college student there. Yeah. And go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I said I, I'm agreeing with you. It was probably great. Yeah, it was really good. And then uh, in the course of my career, I uh, joined uh, an athletic footwear company called Converse Athletic. I've heard of Famous them. for Chuck Taylor All-Stars and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as, as a part of my job as the uh, Senior Vice President of Marketing, I was uh, responsible for basically everything related to advertising, promotion, uh, footwear design, management, and so forth. And as a part of that, um, when I was at a Choices for the Future event, I uh, proposed to John that we create a footwear line uh, that would be named the Converse Windstar Collection of uh, Walking Shoes. Mm. And he uh, enthusiastically endorsed it. Yeah. So uh, my designers went to work on uh, a, a footwear line. And John and I sat down to uh, review it, and uh, he really liked it. And uh, so we went into uh, limited production, uh, started uh, selling those on the market, and it, uh, you know, it, it it had a good run, but it wasn't it wasn't going to be able to compete with uh, sure. Nike and sure. Adidas and other companies like that. But uh, the whole purpose uh, that I had in mind was to support Windstar to support John. And uh, so uh, uh, John and uh, Dr. Uh, Jay Hare mm-hmm. uh, were both friends. And uh, when uh, uh, Jay Hare was the uh, chairman and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation, uh, we, just, we just worked together to put together this program. And uh, I, uh, I traveled to Aspen, to the uh, Aspen uh, Summer Music Festival tent and um, for the Choices for the Future symposium that uh, I attended uh, multiple times. And um, I was on stage with uh, John, uh, Dr. Hare, and I presented the uh, $100,000 check on behalf of Converse to them. And uh, I'm really happy uh, that I have photographs that uh, commemorate that of all three of us on stage. and. So I got a couple of questions for you. Number one is yeah. when you say limited run, how many pairs of shoes are we talking? Um, I think it was only uh, a few thousand uh, shoes. It was a, a limited run, special edition. They, in the footwear industry, they call it a special makeup. Mm-hmm. And uh, we produced and sold uh, the limited run that uh, we had created. And... Uh, again, my whole goal was to support Windstar mm-hmm. and uh, and make that donation to the um, Windstar Foundation. On the road of experience, I'm trying to find my own way. Sometimes I wish that I could fly away When I think that I'm moving 
suddenly things stand still I'm afraid cause I think they always will And I'm looking for space And to find out who I am And I'm looking to know and understand Sometimes that's how it seems I get lost in the sadness And the screams Then I look in the center And suddenly everything's clear I find myself in the sunshine experience join in the living day if there's an answer it's just that it's just that way it's just that way when you're looking for space and find out who you are when you're looking to try and reach the stars There's a lot of voices I would like to have added into this program. Unfortunately, some of them have passed on. Um, the late, great Terry Lipman, who was a great friend of John's from Australia and did a lot of work with Windstar over the years, and the late, great Milt Oaken, John's longtime producer. 
So I was able to reach back into my archives from past shows. Matter of fact, this is from the 2007 tenure tribute that I did for John at Oprah Radio. And so I have Terry and Milton there. And of course, I uh, had to add a couple people that are still with us. But unfortunately, I was not able to uh, get them involved this time with uh, interviews. But I have their audio nonetheless. I thought it was relevant. And that's Rollin Smith, who was a, a longtime MC uh, for Winstar and involved uh, for decades. And Hal Thaw, who was John's manager and was there for the early days of his career and worked with him for many, many years until John's passing. So I thought I would add them into this mix. It's a bit of a montage with uh, with Terry and Milt, as well as Roland and Hal. G'day, mate. G'day, John. I, I don't have a very good Australian accent, but I'm, I ha- I'm earnest. Well, you're doing pretty good, mate. I know that you and John met somewhere in Australia. That's all I really know, and the rest, as they say, is... Is history. What happened? How did you two cross paths? Well, it was a really incredible time in my life, uh, John. I, I, I'd been involved. I had an insurance and financial services business and an entertainment business, and I was kind of a workaholic. And one day uh, I, I got very, very sick, and I had a near-death experience, which I wouldn't recommend, but it certainly changed my life. And uh, one day uh, one of my friends came to me and, and had a tape that John Denver had uh, recorded some years ago in the Aspen Institute, and it was called On Being Human. I was very moved by it because I, I only knew John as a singer. I had no idea, you know, how deep were his uh, convictions. I, uh, the only thing I was really doing at that time was sailing, so I took this tape down to my boat, and uh, I, I, was, I put the tape in, and suddenly, who should walk down the marina but John Denver? And uh, I just stood there. I was kind of stunned. And, uh, of course, you know, I had to go and tell him the story. And uh, so we met, we talked, and he said, listen, I'm going sailing. When I get back, I'll call you. So, <laughs> so I thought to myself, you know, why on earth would John Denver want to call me? Uh, the superstar he was in those days. Anyway, sure enough, he called me and he said, uh, Terry, i tell you what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to get a few of your friends, and I'd like to come and talk to them. And so I said, fine, I'll be happy to do that. I did that, and we sat around in my house on the floor, and John sat on the floor for probably around uh, a couple of hours. Now, Terry, what year was this? This was in 1988. Okay. It was a year before we met. Okay. Anyway, just to uh, not to make a, a story too long... As a result of that, that group was so in, inspired by John, and uh, we created Windstar Australia. So that's how I met John. Roland, how, how did you and John meet originally? How did that happen? Uh, I, I met John uh, a long time ago, probably in the 1980s, when he was a guest uh, on an interview segment for Channel 2 in New York. But I really met him when I was uh, co-hosting the morning program with Marriott Hartley back in 1987. He was a guest on this uh, nationwide program, and uh, I was doing the interview, and he started to talk about Windstar. And, you know, as all interviewers will do, I said, well, well, you know, what's Windstar? Mm -hmm. He said, well, why don't you come out and find out? Uh And I looked over to the the executive producer of the broadcast, Bob Shanks, and Bob said, go. So I said, when are you going to be there? And he says, I'll be there in a couple of days. I said, so will I. Wow. And I'll, I'll come back and I'll report on what Windstar is all about. 
That began my association with Winstar and a long-time association with John uh, until his death. And uh, it was uh, truly one of, of um, positive power and a spiritual experience. Do you think that he was before his time? No, I, mean, I think, like all mystics and all prophets, he was here at the right time, and he probably left at the right time, uh, as unfortunate, because truly only his body died. I mean, his spirit is, is there, not only in his songs, not only in the memories that you have, that I have, and that all the people you've talked to, and everybody who ever listened to every one of his songs still feels it, and that he gave of his spirit as much as he did in the way he did. Whenever I think about where the music has come from and where it's going, I would be remiss if I didn't bring Hal Thaw into the fold of things, and he joins me from Aspen, Colorado. Hey, Hal. Hey, John. How you doing? You were there in the early days, along with Milt Oaken. You were there uh, when 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 J- John showed up uh, for his tryout uh, with the Chad Mitchell Trio, and you know you were really one of the few people that saw this guy long before the Rocky Mountain High days. What, what do you remember from then? Well, I... You know, I remember that um, to, to go back a bit, that, you know, when Chad Mitchell left the trio, Milt Oaken was looking for a replacement, and he must have gotten 200 tapes of, uh, of, of applicants, and mm-hmm. John was one of them. And even though the tape wasn't that great, he saw something in it, and um, uh, he decided that... Uh, John would be the lead singer. Mm-hmm. I remember he waited for a phone call. John was playing Leadbetters in, in, in Phoenix sure. as, as an opening act, and, and he wouldn't leave his room for two days waiting for a phone call. <laughs> you know, from from Milt Dogan saying he got the job, even though he didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, he was going to get it. But mm. uh, but those were those were great days uh, in in terms of um, you know folk music and uh, the songs they sang and the protest material. And, uh, and it was really a development for John. I mean, he, he learned uh, about political humor. And, and uh, uh, as John once said, you know, the, the, you know, the music was, which must, was more sophisticated than he was. Than he was, was, yeah. But this was a great, great, great learning process mm. you know, for him. When he stepped into the into Chad Mitchell's place, and then it became, you know, it was still the Chad Mitchell trio. How were they received, even though Chad was not the the, the headline guy anymore? Well, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, they changed the name. It was just the Mitchell trio, mm. and and they were received, you know, pretty well because um, uh, they just did great, great concerts. Remember, the colleges had money at that time. Uh, it was the era of the, you know, the protest era, and uh, uh, it was just a great great period of time. But again, over time, what happened, that hard rock music was coming into vogue. You know, sure. Sly and the Family Stone, sure. uh, Janis Joplin, right. Jimi Hendrix. You know, hard rock was, was on the upswing, and folk music was, was on the way down. And it was one of the hardest things for me to do was to tell the guys in the trio that um, every time they did a concert, they they lost money, and it was time to to break up, and John and I stayed together. There was a certain incident, though, that you've told me the story a few times, and I think this speaks volumes, not just about, obviously, John as, as a man, uh, as, as somebody of integrity, because when the Mitchell Trio folded, there was actually a debt that was incurred, and even though he wasn't a founding member, he decided to take care of that. Absolutely. There were $44,000 in, 
in in debt at a, and I mean that's huge a, money back then. Well, it's it's real money when you don't have anything. That's and right. You, and you and you're just starting out with a guitar to play little coffee shops, and uh, uh, the other two fellows in in the group kind of went their separate ways. And even though John was not legally obligated to pay it, he said, "How." You know, I'm going to pay it. I had no idea at that time how he was going to do it, but he just persevered through the years, and little by little, um, he would send checks into me. I had an office in New York at the time, and mm-hmm. and, and we would pay down uh, that debt. And and uh, from you know to have a guy do this, mm-hmm. uh, which I'd never seen before, most especially in it entertainment yeah. industry, not uh, known for integrity. <laughs> well, you know. Some are, a lot aren't, and yeah. uh, uh, so I said, I, I, you know, we, we just bonded during that period. You know, when you go through the hot spots with someone, uh, their real personality comes out and who they are, and 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 I just I loved them then. I mean, I loved them even more. Milt Oaken really is an icon and a legend in the music business. He's a musicologist. He's an arranger. He's a conductor. He's a producer with over seventy-five. Are you ready? He's seventy-five gold and platinum albums to his credit. He's been a little busy. He got to start teaching music in junior high school. He's worked with everybody and has been an integral to the success of people like Placido Domingo, Harry Belafonte, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the Brothers Four, and many others. And he was uh, the producer and, and, and really the, the guiding force of the Chad Mitchell Trio in the 1960s when Chad Mitchell decided that he was going to go off and do his own thing. And so it really was up to Milt Oaken to find the replacement for Chad Mitchell. And as I was putting this special together... Of course, the song that really launched John Denver in many, many ways was Leaving on a Jet Plane, but that never would have happened without Milt Oaken. How you doing, Milt? Very well, thank you. That's quite an introduction. <laughs> Can you believe you've had 75? I mean, some people are glad to have two gold albums. You've had 75. That's still a pretty good record. Yeah, I, I still like to brag about it. So. <laughs> Moving on, you know, late 60s, uh, the Chad Mitchell trio was as hot as it could get on the folk circuit. You were an integral part of their success, and all of a sudden, Chad decided he was going to go off and do his own thing, and it was up to you to find a replacement, and you had about how many people vying for that spot? Oh, many, many. I, I couldn't count it. But, you know, the the fault was mine. It was really one of the stupidest things to name, to allow the name of a trio to be named after one person. Sure. Even though he was the lead singer, mm-hmm. it, it led to the eventually dissolution of the group. Mm-hmm. They were very strong and very popular, but they had to give up the name, and uh, that wasn't one of my start- smartest uh, <laughs> moments. Well, one of your smarter moves was uh, listening to it, that uh, tape that one John Denver sent you, and um, as I recall, it wasn't the most stellar performance, or maybe the performance was good, but the, the audition wasn't so great. No, uh, he never sent me a tape. What oh. happened was the Brothers Four knew that we had to replace Chad, mm-hmm. and they knew of uh, John, who was singing at the Ice House in Pasadena, and they said he would be wonderful. Hmm. So I called him. He came into New York and auditioned, and um, he was very good. And I, he met the other members of the trio who stayed, Joe Fraser and Mike Hoblick, and... Uh, he went back home, and for some dumb reason, I didn't even call him for a week, even though we had decided the very day that he auditioned, mm-hmm. that we would like him to join the group. Mm. So he said he had a very unhappy seven days, and then <laughs> finally we called and he joined the group. And he added so much to the group. He was the only one who played an instrument. He played 
you know, this marvelous guitar, mm-hmm. 12-string guitar, mm-hmm. and he gave a whole vividness and drive to the group that it hadn't had with Chad. With Chad, it was very musical, very beautiful. Chad had a very lovely tenor voice, but uh, none of the guys played guitar, and they had backup musicians. Mm-hmm. And John just added this kind of drive and excitement that made the group, really. I don't think he was ever recognized as the guitarist that he was. He was a very musical, rich guitarist. With uh, The 12-string particularly, but even the 6-string, were little orchestras. Mm. You know, he had bottoms, top, little things in between. He just, it really was very full, and uh, he was a very, very musically intuitive guy and and his playing was just so beautiful when uh when the when the mitchell trio somebody at one point had to say hey guys it ain't working anymore the folk era is over every time you go out and play a date you're losing money did you know even out of the the uh disintegration of that era and of the trio itself that he would be able to go on i thought he would be able to he just uh i didn't know that he was going to be a big star you know, and I thought he was a very good folk singer, you know. and I thought he could have a you know a modest career. He knew that he was <laughs> going to be a star. I didn't, you know. but it was gradual. And uh, when I saw him with an audience, I knew that the game was over. <laughs> I guess the proudest moment I I had with him was uh, my wife and I used to spend our summers in vaca- on vacation in France. And one night I was lying in bed listening to very good station, and they play one of John's songs, and I forget which song it was, but the introduction to it was so interesting. It said, uh, John Denver, an American folk singer who really represents the best in American music, has written this song. I said, wow, if in France they recognize him for being so important, Mm. I wish it were true in American critics, you know. He was born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never been before Left yesterday behind him, you might say he was born again Might say he found a key for every door When it first came to the mountains, his life was far away On the road and hanging by a song But the string's already broken And he doesn't really care Keeps changing fast It don't last for long But the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky The shadow from the starlight Is softer than a lullaby Rocky Mountain High Rocky Mountain High He climbed Cathedral Mountain Saw silver clouds below Saw everything as far as you can see And they say that he got crazy once And tried to touch the sun 
And he lost a friend but kept his memory Now he walks in quiet solitude, the forests and the streams Seeking grace in every step he takes His sight has turned inside himself to try and understand The serenity of a clear blue mountain lake the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky You can talk to God and listen to the casual reply Rocky Mountain High Rocky Mountain High How's life Full of wonder, but his heart still knows some fear of a simple thing he cannot comprehend. Why they try to tear the mountains down to bring in a couple more, more people, more scars upon the land. And the Colorado Rocky Mountain High, I've seen it rain and fire and sky. I know he'd be a poor man if he never saw an eagle fly. Rocky Mountain High. It's the Colorado Rocky Mountain High. I've seen it rain and fire in the sky. Friends around a campfire, everybody's high. Rocky Mountain High Rocky Mountain High Rocky Mountain High Rocky Mountain High That version of Rocky Mountain High is from the Russia CD that you and Roger Nichols uh, produced. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, kind of a funny story. I uh, I had originally had a young client uh, that I was managing named Philip Sandifer, and so I had Roger figure out a way to record him live, just guitar and vocal, and uh, be able to use it, you know, on our dat so we could take it straight to. Uh, press in those days singles and albums and uh when john setting up this whole thing with these trips to russia i asked roger to record everything mm -hmm. and so he said well you know i can probably do that but it's gonna take a lot of equipment i said well no can't you do it like we did with philip with the art app and just guitar vocal and he said oh yeah yeah uh, i can do uh. that and then after john passed it was uh Gosh, I think six months, a year or so, I said, hey, Roger, whatever happened to the tapes you made of John in Russia? They said, oh, I've got them. I said, well, can you find him? And that took six months. But he found him, and then we put it together and uh, made a CD out of it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's the very best that John ever sounded on any of his albums or any of the live 
performances. Roger was such a genius, mm-hmm. and uh, he had it done straight from uh, guitar vocal to RDAP, and it was amazing. John was probably one of four or five entertainers in the world that could go out with nothing but their instrument, not just their vocal, but their instrument, uh, and perform for a crowd of 25, 30,000 people or more. You know, you got Elton John. And there's not that many folks that mm-hmm. can do it all mm-hmm. by themselves. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, but you know, one of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons I asked you on the show, so much of what you have done at Windstar back in the day, and I just want to be really clear, you know, the Windstar Foundation as it was, uh, doesn't exist as it once did, but I'm not concerned about that as much as I am about uh, how many people took what Windstar stood for inside themselves and go out and live it every day. Everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end, especially organizations, and what I was always most heartened by, two things. Uh, the first time you and I talked was in 1998. It was about a year after John had passed. And we were having a conversation. You don't remember this, but I remember this clearly. We were having a conversation about a lot of the stuff that had gone on in the world that John had put his voice and guitar to and his, his efforts and his money and things. And I remember asking you the question like, you know, did you ever think you'd be in this position? And you said, does it matter if I ever thought about it or not? Here I am. And I, yeah, well, it's just a typical Ron Dutchendorf response. But what, what I got out of that was, is that, you know, you, you didn't have to, but you did. I mean, that's just kind of how it went. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. People came to me and said, uh, you know, there's nothing happening and there's still a need. And, uh, we actually, that was one of the first things I had done was we made sweatshirts that said the job's not done. And uh, it's still true today, unfortunately. There's still a need for us to clean up the environment, and especially now in this day and age with global warming. You know, I'm very nervous about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were a lot of folks that took what they got uh, mm-hmm. from Windstar and went out and are still doing good. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. You know, I always thought that the music gave birth to the work, and then the work help the music like it was this synergistic thing for john like you know you you go out and you're at one point the the leading uh, album seller in the world you got some pull which allows you to go do things right and then you go do things which allows you to come back and do different music and it seemed like that for a very long time he had that synergy going what was it like for you to kind of watch all that unfold i mean you guys were you know since you grew up together how was that to watch all that unfold well it was very uh very interesting and Fortunately or unfortunately, I always treated John like my brother John. And uh, even when I was managing back in uh, 85 and 86, 84, 85, gosh, I can't even remember these days. Mm. I uh, treated him like my brother. (laughs) And everybody else around him would treat him like the superstar that he was. And sometimes it was good and sometimes it wasn't so good for our relationship. uh, We'd go on again, off again sometimes. But... uh, we definitely loved each other, mm. and uh, I always supported what he did and encouraged him. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he and I had uh, a long night that I won't bore you with. Uh, about a block from my house in California at the time, at a bar, and uh, talked about, or argued about, or fought about the fact that having that tremendous gift that he had, that there was so much more he could be doing with it. 
And uh, I think that's one of the things that made him start going out of the country and going to other countries, not mm -hmm. just England, but other countries. And uh, he always had the ability to combine his music with his message and talk about the things that Windstar was all about, mm. to encourage people to start thinking about him and care about him and do something about things. They've seen the wars that hurt the hunger How will they choose when they are grown? What do you tell forever's children When it's their turn to hurt and heal? Whatever spins a grim tornado Can also turn Potter's wheel. Take a little clay, put it on a wheel, get a little hint how God must feel. Feel a little burn, listen to it spin, make it in the shape you want it in. Tell with your life a bloody story, teach to their dreams, not burning. Potter's wheel takes love and caring, skill and patience, fast and slow. The works it makes are easily broken once they survive the potter's throw. Take a little play, put it on a wheel, get a little hint how God must feel. Get a little turn. Get in the shape you wanted it Someday some children will be digging In some long and they'll find our civilization Or what's left of it to be found They'll find the weapons of destruction But buried deeper in the hole They'll find a message in a box In the sand of potter's bowl Shape you want it in. Take a little play, put 
John Oates is uh, best known as half of the rock and soul duo Hall & Oates, of course, with Daryl Hall. He's played rock, R&B, soul music. He's also, of course, a guitarist, singer, songwriter, record producer. Although John's main role in the duo was being the guitar player, he also co-wrote many of the top 10 songs they recorded. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2004, and in 2014, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Daryl Hall and John Oates. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, it's great to uh, speak with you about the uh, legendary John Denver. Believe it or not, um, my first experience and, and my first uh, becoming aware of John Denver was in 1968 in Snowmass, <laughs> Colorado. Wow. Um, I had gone out there. It was my first trip west. Um, I, w- I lived on the East Coast. Um, you know, I lived in the Philadelphia, New York area. And um, I was a skier, and I was in college. And there was a um, a little card on a bulletin board in the student union building saying, uh, ski trip to Aspen, Colorado, $125. Oh, jeez. Uh, all in, everything, <laughs> flights, everything. And I was like, I, I'm just randomly sitting in a classroom and talking to some guy that I didn't even really know. Yeah. I, that's the kind of thing you do when you're 19 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and I said, man, I, I'd like to go skiing in Aspen, Colorado. And the guy said, I'm a skier. He said, let's go. And it was kind of crazy. So um ended up in, in Aspen. And um, while I was there, I had heard about this folk singer who was playing in a small bar in Snowmass, Colorado, which had actually just opened that year. Wow. Um, and so we took the bus and went over there, and I saw John Denver play in this little bar in, in Snowmass Village. So that was, you know, very, very impactful for me to, uh, to see someone, you know, at, at, the, at the kind of moment when they were about to really blossom into the superstar that he became. 2011, the Colorado Music Hall of Fame inducted John into the Hall of Fame there, and it was quite an extravaganza, uh, quite an amazing group of performers and people who were singing John's music. And, you know, Lee Holdridge was there with the orchestra and it was, you were there and the late great Olivia Newton-John. And with the recent passing of Olivia, I was just wondering, recalling that time on stage, singing that iconic song that she and John had performed, you know, decades earlier, what, the, what was that like for you? <laughs> it was a shock, to be honest with you, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was asked by my very good friend, the late, great Pete Hutlinger, who played with John. Because yep. Pete and I played together a lot. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, and we, we played together um, so many times. In fact, Pete and I met in Colorado when he was <laughs> out there playing some solo shows and when he was out there being a, a musical director for some of John's uh, stuff that, that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Pete... Uh, and, um, you know, when Pete asked me to, uh, to, to do it, to be part of that, I said, of course, I said yes. And then Pete got ill and, and couldn't, couldn't attend, which was mm-hmm. really kind of uh, very sad. But so when I got there, um, I had worked up an arrangement of um, Leaving on a Jet Plane, which um, Pete loved because he loved the arrangement. Because I, I kind of, I, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> mess with the song, but right. I kind of took it. I kind of took it to Philadelphia in a real uh. way uh, <laughs> with some more sophisticated chord changes. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door Hate to wake you up to say goodbye Oh, the dawn is breaking and it's early Taxi's way, blowing his horn 
song and amazing songs can be interpreted in a lot of ways so so i was there to do that that was what i was expecting to do and i was excited to play it uh and when i got there literally at soundcheck someone asked me to if i would do a duet on flyaway with olivia newton john wow. i was like i said really i said well first of all i i know the song but i'm not that familiar with it and i literally had to learn the song at soundcheck and in the dressing room Wow, and then you know, I mean, you know, and Olivia Newton-John. I mean, what a what a class and class person, and you know, beautiful spirit and beautiful person in general. Um, and I thought, you know, here I am in front of five thousand, ten thousand, whatever it was, diehard John Denver fans, <laughs> and I'm going to go up and do this duet with this classic duet with Olivia mm-hmm. Newton-John. I mean, it was it was daunting, I have to say. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I don't remember what it sounded like. I hope I held my own on that because it wasn't easy. And I was I was you know I was I was hanging on by my fingernails trying to remember you know make sure I sure. just kind of you know stayed in my lane so to speak. days have gone soft 
and cloudy All of her dreams have gone dry All of her nights have gone sad and shady She's getting ready to fly Fly away Fly away Fly away Life in the city can make you crazy The sounds of the sand and the sea I love the sea Life in a high rise can make you hungry Things that you can't even see Fly away Fly away Away. This whole world, there's nobody as lonely as she. Nobody as lonely as me. There's nowhere to go in this snow that she'd rather, rather be.
Richard Kaufman has devoted much of his musical life to conducting and supervising music for film and television productions, as well as performing film and, and classical music in concert halls and recordings all over the world. And uh, I am so delighted to have him join me as he spent more than his share of time with Mr. John Denver. Hey, Richard. John, it is a pleasure. The first thing is, because you've conducted for John when Lee Holdridge was taking hiatus or working on projects, um, the music itself has endured like very few other artists over 25 years. How do you explain that, if at all? Well, you mentioned Lee Holdridge, and Lee is, uh, Lee and I have been friends now almost, almost 50 years. Met really at the beginning of our careers, and uh, Lee's arrangements and orchestrations for John really took them to a whole new level, and that was all, of course, one of the, one of the visions of Milt Oaken, who produced you know, John's recordings. And uh, what Lee brought to John's music was, uh, was so much in terms of the musical sound that John had. Of course, John could play his guitar alone, and it was, was magical. And then add a rhythm section, and it was a different kind of thing. When John stood in front of an orchestra, what Lee did to contribute to that was such a huge part of John's musical success and John loved it. And one of, the, one of the great things about John was when we would do concerts with orchestra, he absolutely loved being in front of an orchestra. How did the, uh, the musicians in, the, in the, uh, the orchestra react to this kind of pop culture guy who I'm sure they don't, aren't used to working with all the time? How did they react to him being in front? The first thing I believe they noticed was when John would come on stage, he would talk to them and he would tell them how thrilled he was and what an honor it was to be with them. And he meant it. Yeah. And they knew that he meant it. He was, you know, really sincere about it, as he was with everything. And then John would sing. And, and John, he was a listener. John would listen to the orchestra. A lot of singers don't listen to the orchestra. But it was a collaborative exercise from the beginning. And it was very easy uh, as a conductor. You know, some singers, you have to drag the orchestra back and forth because the singer, you know, changes tempo and does all sorts of crazy things, uh, whether it's on, on purpose or not. Mm -hmm. But John was so musical and his songs just flowed. And we would rehearse very quickly. The orchestra would play it. Uh, and uh, we'd have a two-and-a-half-hour rehearsal, and sometimes we'd be out of there in an hour and a half. I've asked just about everybody about their favorite song. I think you would be, of all people, the most difficult choice to, to make because you were there performing all of these with him live on stage and in the, in the production studio as well. But if we narrowed it down to one, what would it be? Uh, well, the I, mean, I couldn't tell you the ones that I love the most because there are too many. Okay. But one that had a very personal connection with John, between John and myself, was, was a song that he would, he would set up in the concert uh, the same way. And he would talk about how he wrote the song and that he was over in Shanghai, in China. And he was in a hotel room. And... Uh, he was talking with Annie on the phone back in Colorado. And he, 
he would say, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just looking at the most beautiful moon over Shanghai, and I just can't believe how beautiful it is. And Annie said, do you think it's the same moon that I'm looking at over Colorado? And John pauses, perfect timing. He had Jack Benny timing. And he paused and he said, probably. <laughs> so, so we were with the Pittsburgh Symphony. And we were doing five nights, which is very rare in a Pops concert type season for an orchestra. But Pittsburgh does more. Uh, and they did five nights in a row. And he did this every night. He said, you know, do you think it's the same moon that that I'm looking at over Colorado? Probably. So we get to the fifth night, and John is telling the story, and he says, you know, I'm looking at this beautiful moon over Shanghai, and, and he says, do you think it's the same moon I'm looking at over Colorado? And John did his pause, and just before he said it, the entire Pittsburgh Symphony said, probably. <laughs> That's fantastic. Which, which was one of the great tributes that I've ever seen given mm. to a performer by an orchestra, that they would, first of all, feel so comfortable to yeah. do that, knowing yeah. that this man would not, after the concert, say, how dare they do that? Who do they think they are? It's my show, blah, blah, blah. You know, John, I thought he wouldn't be able to sing. He was <laughs> laughing so hard. <laughs> you know, when I hear the song now, uh, I, I think of that, and uh, I smile, you know, sometimes there's some tears, but uh, it's a very special song to me, and uh, so that would that would be the song. It's funny how you sound as if you're right next door when you're really half a world away. I just can't seem to find the words I'm looking for To say the things I want to say I can't remember when I felt so close to you It's almost more than I can bear Though I seem a half a million miles from you You are in my heart and living there and the moon and the stars are the same ones you see It's the same old sun up in the sky Your voice in my ear is like heaven to me Like the breezes here in old Shanghai There are lovers who walk hand in hand in the park And lovers who walk all alone there are lovers who lie unafraid in the dark And lovers who long for home I couldn't leave you even if I wanted to You're in my dreams and always near And especially when I sing the songs I wrote for you You are in my heart and living there and the moon and the stars are the same ones you see It's the same old sun up in the sky And your face in my dreams is like heaven to me Like the breezes here in old Shanghai Shanghai breezes, cool and clearing Evening sweet caress Shanghai breezes 
soft and gentle Remind me of your tenderness And the moon and the stars are the same ones you see It's the same old sun up in the sky Your love in my life is like heaven to me Like the breezes here in old Shanghai And the moon and the stars are the same ones you see It's the same old sun up in the sky And your love in my life is like heaven to me Like the breezes here in old Shanghai Just like the breezes here in old Shanghai Thank you. As a kid growing up, I used to watch the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. I believe it was every Tuesday night, 6.30 p.m. on ABC. And usually my folks were watching other stuff in the 60s. And so I was able to go up to my parents' room and on a little Sears black and white 12-inch TV watch Jacques Cousteau and the men of the good ship Calypso go around the world and stick their nose underwater. And I so wanted to go with them. Richard Hyman did just that. Richard, glad to have you. Hey, John, uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Does Jacques Cousteau go through the phone book and find Richard Eyman? What, what happened with me was uh, uh, I was uh, just turned 18 years old, just graduated from high school. I always had summer jobs, but uh, my father was going out to Los Angeles to meet with Cousteau. And why and, would your uh, dad be going to meet with Jacques Cousteau? Yeah, good question. He, he was recruited. Uh, Cousteau was in uh, some business difficulty back in the 70s, and uh, he needed someone to come in and try to help him run it like a business. So uh, Fred Hyman, my dad, was recruited, and uh, he joined Cousteau and uh, basically turned it around. Um, but uh, interestingly, uh, uh, we arrived in L.A., they went to a meeting, I sat outside the meeting looking through the photo library, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. We, went to, we went to Philippe Cousteau's home in Beverly Hills that night before dinner, and uh, I, I was not a diver, and Philippe asked me if I'd like to uh, start learning how to dive. So my first diving lesson was in oh, Philippe's oh, swimming pool oh, in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and and uh, then we went to dinner, and I'm sitting next to Captain Cousteau, and he explains that uh, a Frenchman named Ivan Giacoletto is going to drive a truck full of camera equipment and other supplies uh, from L.A. to uh, Saskatchewan. And uh, we need another truck driver to accompany him. Would you would you do that? I, I said yes. And I went and it, it changed my life. And then uh, Cousteau invited me back to uh, three more expeditions. So I kind of climbed the ladder from being a, a truck driver and a carpenter and uh, years later ended up as an underwater photographer diving for Cousteau. When did Mr. Denver arrive on Calypso? What was that all about? Yeah, well, interesting. Uh, I think John Denver wanted to meet Captain Cousteau. He admired him. And Captain Cousteau, uh, I don't think he was terribly familiar with with John, but uh, John Denver was persistent. And uh, the the people uh, involved in the Cousteau organization made it happen, long story short. And uh, John flew down to uh, the Belize airport, Belize, formerly British Honduras. uh, And he... uh, 
he was going to stay in a hotel that night in Belize, but uh, things changed and he came aboard the ship. We sailed uh, out of port and uh, just John, John spent about four days with us, I believe. He dove, we dove together, and uh, he and Captain Cousteau uh, did a segment for television. Uh, and he, he gave, John gave us a, a concert on the foredeck, the front deck of Calypso, an outdoor concert, which was one of the greatest highlights of my time working with Captain Cousteau. Uh, John sang probably about two hours. <laughs> the first hour was, uh, was filmed. And parts of that became uh, uh, part of John's uh, Christmas special that year, oh. an, e an evening with John Denver, for which John won a, an Emmy. But then, interestingly enough, Madame Cousteau, Captain Cousteau's wife, Mrs. Cousteau, she was in the background, uh, a little bit shy. And once the, uh, the, the lights went off for the cameras, she came out and sat next to John and then started giving John requests. So she, <laughs> she, she knew John's music. Ah. Uh, and John played for uh, about another hour. And it was just amazing. It was a wonderful experience. So the last question I have to ask, because I already know the answer, but let's go for it anyway, is if there was one song I could send you off with, what would it be? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let me, uh, <laughs> let, let, me, let, let, me, let me read you just, a, if I may, just one or two sentences sure. here from the book that lead right into this. Uh, John would visit me on the bridge when I'd be on watch, and it was, this was around midnight, and John would come up and spend time with me, and I, I talk here. He asks me many questions about Calypso, Gique, which is Captain Cousteau, and what it feels like to be a member of the crew. He explains that he wants to write a song about Calypso, and that he needs to know details and my thoughts. I share my impressions and emotions with him. And of course, John, the answer is uh, his wonderful song, Calypso. Darkness to show us the way 
Probably John's best friend over the years uh, is a gentleman named Tom Crum. I mean, how did you and John first meet? How, do you remember that first meeting that you two had? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, you know, I was uh, working as a systems analyst of all things down in Houston, Texas. Really disliked it, as we usually do in our first job. It didn't fit who I was. I didn't love what I was doing. I put my family in a little VW van and headed out to. I was going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming of all places, came into Aspen, Colorado just for one evening on mm. the way to Jackson Hole where it was a place that I intuited that I wanted to settle in and maybe teach school and uh, pursue my dreams. And I, there was a little, when I pulled into Aspen, Colorado in the summer of 1970 mm. in this old VW van, I, I, there was an A-frame that my sister-in-law was living in as a ski bum. She had a little party going on. I walk in there, my very first hour in town, and uh, sort of said hi to Chrissy, my sister-in-law. And then I look over in the corner, and there's some guy with uh, sort of disheveled hair and little granny glasses <laughs> in the corner just tuning his guitar. Uh, nothing spectacular. He was just a, a guy over there in the corner. And I went over and just said hi to him and asked him what he was doing, and he was trying to get a job, basically, at the time, <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, he had written some songs and all, but he really hadn't really been discovered yet in a big way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was actually my first meeting uh, with John. I go out of the, the A-frame about an hour later on my way to Jackson Hole, and a guy is stuffing his dog in a backpack. Uh. Now, he's stuffing his dog in a backpack because it was a puppy and he wanted to ride his motorcycle. The guy's name was Bruce Gordon. Another mm. longtime friend of John's and a pilot. Yep. Uh, but this time he was working as a waiter in a restaurant. Uh. And as I'm helping, he said, could he help me stuff this dog in the backpack? While I'm doing that, he goes, hey, uh, I need uh, help with uh, this restaurant. I'm, 
I'm a waiter at. We just had to fire a waiter. Could you help me? And I, you know, I that's when I just started to flip a coin up in the air and said, what the heck? Must be meaningful. Yeah. So I said, I'll help you for a week. And John, I didn't get to Jackson Hole until 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you tell me how it all works, my friend. I cannot explain that, Tom. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. It was uh, several years later that uh, I have my martial art art academy. Uh, I'm still in Aspen. I'm, that's where I had that. I was teaching meditation. I was doing all these things, teaching school. Get a call from KO, John's manager, and John. Mm-hmm. And John now had really started to just be this shooting star uh, in terms of his music and who he was. And, and of course, I had heard him sing a couple of times, but never really had gotten with him. Mm-hmm. And he asked if I could come up and start training him privately in what I do, given what they knew was going to be a, a huge ride. Yeah. Uh, and that celebrity stuff, when you're young, um, could there be some some guidance, some grounding. So I started to work with John privately in the Aikido and the meditation, and next thing I know, uh, he's given me a call saying, would you travel with me on the road? And I said, John, I can't do that. You know, I've got my life here. And he said, just give me three weeks. <laughs> just be, just travel with me. for the for, There's a three-week tour coming up. It's really important. Uh, you know, we're doing this show in the round in these large coliseums and uh, like Madison Square Garden, we really, I really could use you on the road with me for just three weeks. Five years later, <laughs> God, I'm, I'm still on the road with the guy. <laughs> so, you know, I just don't know how the dots connect. Yeah. Tom, you talk about John, as I often think about him, in present tense. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know whether it's your parents or your best buddy, mm-hmm. um, when someone moves on, passes on, who knows what happens, um, we like to pretend we know. We're all going to find out. But all I know is that that his presence is just is uh, bountiful, more so even today than it was when he was alive. Uh, he's always seems to be you know around, just mm-hmm. like my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, there they are, nice guides, nice mentors, uh, good friends, uh, all of that. And I don't I don't feel without. You 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 made a, two comments shortly after John passed that I have not left me, and every the years that you and I have talked since that time, it eventually shows up in a conversation somewhere. But you made two statements. And the first one was, you were so sad. I think you said at at John's uh, memorial service at the Aspen Music Tent, you were so very sad that he was gone. But at the same moment, you were so, so very glad that he had been born, that he lived. And I mean, that's an Ikey thing right there. But really, that's what we're left with. That's the, the choices we've given, no matter who has been in our life. Absolutely. I mean, when I think about the great blessings that John gave all of us uh, being on this planet. How could I not uh, rejoice as well as grieve? But the rejoice is always going to win out. And John was one of the most generous, loving buddies you can imagine. Let's forget his uh, ability to make a difference on the planet. Um, You know, he just had such unbridled enthusiasm. He was always running. It was as if he was he was always late to make a contribution. He couldn't wait, you know. So he was all, well, if you're in the mountains with him, he's running. It was amazing. He had his little head forward and he's running. He's usually got a camera in his hand or something. And he's just wide-eyed as if nature's speaking to him now. And he doesn't want to miss it. Life's too short. If he came to a waterfall, if it was in the summertime, count on it. John would, uh, ju- well, I'd jump in. John would dive in. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was sort of head first. 
if you skied with John, my goodness, you always had to ski behind him because, I mean, uh, it was like if you skied in front of him, it was like an 18-wheeler if you're on a <laughs> bicycle coming down at you from Independence Pass. He's going to take know? you out, yeah. And if he wiped out, I mean, he'd block out the sun for minutes. So, you know, the guy was... Uh, the guy did love to go fast in life. Uh, he, he had a lot to do in his life. Of course, there's going to be a hole. My life has been glorious, actually. It's been wonderfully, mm. wonderful and blessed. And I attribute a lot of that to deep, um, loving friends like John, even to this day. The void, of course, there's going to be a deep hole when you lose somebody on the, on the physical level. Uh, um, however, my sense is that you've Fill that void every day. You find what you love to do, and you live a life that shows it. Every time you stand up for what you believe in, whether it's hunger or education or uh, a peace issue, whatever it is in your community, every time you stand up, um, that's when you fill the void, and I think that's when John John returns, mm. uh, and that's. That's what I wish people would really get when they lose somebody that is deeply meaningful to them, mm-hmm. is to look at what it is that was so meaningful and and live a life that demonstrates that, and you'll bring that meaning right back again. Haven't seen all there is to see, but I've seen quite a bit. I've seen things I'll always remember, some things I wish that I could forget. I haven't quite been around the world, but I've been around the block. I know the distances are meaningless, like the hands that move around the clock. And I know that love is everywhere. Always safe, always true And exactly where it comes from Is where it's going to Your heart to mine My heart to yours Talk about opening windows Talk about opening doors My heart to yours your heart to mine Love is a light that shines from heart to heart Here I am sitting in old Hong Kong The harbor and the lights They're like diamonds in the heavens Enough to brighten the darkness Night. There's another side to sorrow As there is to everything Like the other side of lonely Is falling in love again And then you know that there's an answer To the suffering we see And though it isn't easy It's still as simple as you and me And you know that love is everywhere Always safe, always true And exactly where it comes from Is where it's going to 
Talk about opening windows. Talk about opening doors. My heart to yours. Your heart to mine. Love is a light that shines from heart to heart. Your heart to mine. John Barry, who rose to stardom in the country charts uh, in the 1990s. John joins me from just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. JB, how are you? I'm doing spectacular, buddy. How are you? I'm really, really good. To, to, to listen to you uh, do your versions of some of the hits that John Denver wrote and sang that made such an impact on you. Yeah, he just did remarkable music and was a remarkable soul. And it just uh, it resonated with me from... The very first time I heard Country Roads, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. Um, I, 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 his music just really speaks to me, and uh, the simplicity of the the lyrics, and now to, to try to write them it mm-hmm. is not simple. But when you listen to them, it's like, well, of course, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, I understand it. Why didn't I write that? Because you can't, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, and the the melodies are they seem simple. And they sound, they're memorable, memorable melodies. And they seem simple to play, but oh my goodness gracious, what a guitar player this man was. Mm. Oh my gosh. I, I, you, know, you, you think about the Rocky Mountain High, that little lick on Rocky Mountain High. Yeah. It, 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 I, I've been playing guitar since I was 12. And I'm 62. And 50 years, and I still can't get that lick right. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, yeah. I ain't much of a guitar player. Okay, yeah, yeah. But but he was just a really incredible musician, and and songwriter and singer, and that did it in such a way. It was. It was like it spoke to every man. Yeah. Every woman. Yeah. It, it wasn't high fluting, you know. Uh, look, look how good I am at this or that, and and he sang, which is he just sang his heart, you know. Yeah. Listen, I appreciate you taking the time today to talk about our pal, and um, it's always good to hear your voice in my ear. Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate your um, work over the years to remind us um, things about John that maybe some of us did not know or things that we may have forgotten. And he brought light into places that were dark, and he brought peace to places that there was trouble. Every night when I do, when I on our show when I put any song in the set, I just I do my best to channel my best John Denver. You fill up my 
senses Like a night in a forest Like the mountains in springtime Like a walk in the rain Like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean You fill up my senses Come fill me again Come let me love you Let me give my life to you Let me drown in your laughter Let me die in your arms Let me lay beside you let me always be with you come let me love you come love me again la 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 so very, very glad that Annie Denver said that she would join us. Hey, Annie. Hi, John. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm sitting here, and it is fall in Aspen, mm-hmm. and the leaves are turning, and uh, this is one of John's favorite times of the year, by the way. There, is there something that John left us, that we, some gem that we haven't discovered? Is it something in ourselves? Is the music part of maybe the evolution of who we are as a society and as a people? Do you see a greater role for him even now, even though he's been uh, physically gone for a little while? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question, or, it, or inter- it's an interesting question. Do you know, <laughs> I don't even know if this John is going to, going to answer it, but for me. Yeah. Um, and John and I, you know, went through a lot of different changes together. We grew up together. And I think I knew him as well, if not better than most people, because I went so far back with John. Mm-hmm. But um, John had an ability to be in this moment. 
and and I think that that's that's a gift that he gave me, and I know he gave his children and his close friends. And I think when somebody that has that that much that is so alive in their life, when they leave, it does leave a big void. But for me, I think John would want us to all go on with our lives. That's why I think John's legacy, at least for me, is he was incredibly courageous. He really went for it and, and didn't always succeed. And his his lows were as as difficult and challenging as his his great success. And when he was faced with some of the, those lower challenges, he met them. And he worked on himself and cared about people, and, and he really cared about this planet. And he looked at it as a living, breathing thing. And he did that before a lot of the, the environmental things have come to pay, you know, pass mm-hmm. since, he's, since he's died. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's all around us. It's, you know, it's, it's the, the nameless. And to me, it's about living my life and living it, having incorporated that experience of John within me. And yet I think he'd be thrilled that people still get the value of his music. But you can't, uh, to me, it's about being here today and doing that to the best of my ability. And, and I, I have to tell you, John, I think about John every day because I can't be here in Colorado and not have him here, too, mm-hmm. because we kind of discovered it together. So I hope you know, that, that my life, and I, I would hope that, that the people that love his music, it's about honoring their lives. I mean, I think when somebody dies suddenly and dies too young, so how can I remember them? And I think the best way, and I think John would say this, is live your life. Yeah. Do good for others. Um, we're here for a very short time. It doesn't matter if you die at 53 or if you die when you're 96. And I think, can I say this? It's, it's like I think, too, that John's one regret, he thought he had a lot, lot of years to live, and he spent a lot of his time being very busy and doing a lot. And towards the end of his life, he was really enjoying connecting with his children more. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's to me that's the kind of the the gift. Uh, you know, be with your family, be with people that, that that love you and care about you, because all this external stuff is going to pass away. Tell me about perhaps love. Oh, it's my favorite song. Um, it came out of a place actually. John and I had separated, and he was taking a trip in his car up the coast of California with my brother Ben, and he wrote this song and he. FedExed it to me. I don't even. I think FedEx existed then, but <laughs> second day aired it, and um, it was connected. I think originally it was about us, but it really is about. Um, in the end, what's left is love, and and I loved when it came out when he did the duet with Placido Domingo. That's my mm-hmm. favorite. And, and it's John. It was John's favorite also because the night he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, it's the song he sang. It's mm. the one of all of his songs that he chose to sing. It's been uh, a delight spending time with you. I, I have run the gamut of the emotion from 
really excited to make sure that uh, you were comfortable doing this to uh, really sad that you have to do this. And I just, I think the world of, of, of everything you've said. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Perhaps love is like a resting place, a shelter from the storm. It exists to give you comfort, it is there to keep you warm. And in those times of trouble, when you are most alone, the memory of love will bring you home. Perhaps love is like a window, Perhaps an open door It invites you to come closer It wants to show you more And even if you lose yourself And don't know what to do The memory of love will see you through Oh, love to some is like a cloud To some as strong as steel For some a way of living For some way to feel And some say love is holding on And some say letting go And some say love is everything Some say they don't know Perhaps love is like the ocean Full of conflict, full of pain Like a fire when it's cold outside Thunder when it rains If I Perhaps love is like the ocean Full of conflict, full of pain Like a fire when it's cold outside Thunder when it rains If I should live forever And all my dreams come true My memories of love will be of Everywhere I look in the world today, I see that we take advantage of every excuse that we can to separate ourselves one from the other. We separate ourselves whether we're Americans or Russians or Chinese, whether we're communist or capitalist, whether we're Catholic or Protestant, Christian or Jew, whether we're businessman or farmer, conservationist or developer, whether we're black or white, young or old, man or woman. We've forgotten that we're all human beings. And I think it's time that we remind ourselves of that. There are children raised in sorrow On a scorched and barren plain There are children raised beneath the golden sun There are children of the water 
and children of the sand and they cry out through the universe their voices raise as one I want to live I want to grow I want to see I want to know I want to share what I can give I want to be I want to live Have you gazed out on the ocean Seen the breaching of a whale Have you watched the dolphins frolic in the foam Have you heard the song the humpback hears 500 miles away Telling tales of ancient history of passages and home I want to live and I want to grow I want to see and I want to know I want to share what I can give I want to be I want to live for the worker and the warrior the lover and the liar for the native and the wanderer in kind For the maker and the user And the mother and her son I am looking for my family And all of you are mine We are standing all together Face to face, arm in arm we are standing on the threshold of a dream, yes. No more hunger, no more killing, no more wasting life away. It is simply an idea, and I know it's time has come. I want to live, I want to grow, I want to see. I want to know, I want to share what I can give I want to be, I want to live and I want to grow I want to see and I want to know I want to share what I can give I want to be, I want to live and I want to grow I want to see, I want to know I want to share what I can give I want to be, I want to live, I want to live, I want to In closing, I want to say thanks to uh, a few people. Uh, Brian Smith, who works with John Barry uh, extensively, brought Richie Foray and John Oates to this program. It was just a great effort on Mr. Smith's part. And I, I uh, send him a laurel and hearty handshake for his efforts in getting that done. They, they added so much to the program. I want to thank Metal Chris, who does all my tech stuff in Washington, D.C., for his support on getting the audio from different things. I also want to say thanks to the Colorado Music Hall of Fame for their involvement in this and uh, the, the clips that uh, came from that experience back in 
2011 when John was inducted into the Colorado Hall of Fame. And of course, all these incredible guests that made this thing work. You know, I got to say, after some considerable post-production and spending hours listening to all different pieces of John's life and, and the experiences that the guests had with him, I've come away with a few things. Number one is, I'm reminded of the quote that says, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. John figured out his why. The second thing I'm also reminded of is that tomorrow is promised to none of us. So get about your business of finding out why you're here and then go do that. And of course, the third thing is, goes back to the question John asked me well over 25 years ago. Do you know that your voice matters? Be well. Safe travels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the faith. Nothing that ties me to Something that might have been true yesterday Tomorrow is over Right now it seems to be more than enough To just be here today I don't know what the future is Holding in store Don't know where I'm going I'm not sure The spirit that guides me, the light that shines for me. My life is worth the living. I don't need to see the end. Sweet, sweet surrender. Yeah.
Jesus. 